welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Lawyers Who Lead was back on the road again this week, podcasting in person at ABA Tech Show in Chicago, Illinois. For anyone not familiar, Tech Show is a three-day event where lawyers, legal professionals, and technology all come together. On the ground at Tech Show is a very special guest host, Lawline Program Attorney Callie Franks. While I'll be returning to host our regular episodes next week, I'm sure you'll find great value in Callie's hosting and the rich content of these interviews. So without further ado, let's welcome Greg Siskind co-founder of Siskin Susser, one of the leading immigration law firms in North America. Greg has dedicated over three decades to aiding immigrants and shaping policy. Since beginning his practice at 22, he has authored seven books, numerous articles, and was instrumental in drafting legislation, even testifying before the U.S. House of Representatives. Greg is regularly featured in publications like USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times, and was named by Who's Who in corporate immigration law on its list of the 10 most distinguished lawyers in the world. Let's dive into the interview recorded at ABA Tech Show right now. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you here, Greg. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's really fun to be on the floor of such a large tech conference for the legal profession and feel that buzz. Yes. For sure. There's a lot of smart people in this area. I've been coming to Tech Show since the 1990s. So what is it about Tech Show that you keep coming back to? There's a focus here on the practical and how to incorporate technology into your law practices. The sessions are great. They usually spend a lot of energy on getting really good speakers. The emphasis is more, I think, for smaller and mid-sized firms as opposed to super large firms. So a lot of the issues that technology is addressing that they're talking about on the panels have really, over the years, has resonated with lawyers like myself. Yeah, and and speaking of lawyers like yourself, tell us how you got into the the position that that you're currently in. Yeah, so I mentioned already a little that that I've been doing this since the 90s. I'm an immigration lawyer by training. Our law firm is turning 30 years old in June. We've been at this a long time. I wear two hats, three hats actually. One is a lawyer, one is a publisher, and one is a startup founder for a legal tech company that's actually, for the first time, we actually are in the exhibit hall. I've always been an attendee at this conference and never actually an exhibitor. But the the law firm is a 12-lawyer immigration firm with about 60 people altogether. We're in Memphis, Tennessee, and legal technology has always been important to us. In 1994, we were the third law firm in the world with a website and the firm opened with a website when it opened. You know, over the years, various kinds of technology have been really important in the practice. And then in about 2015, we started working on AI apps. And last year, we, like a lot of other companies, started embracing generative AI when the model started actually getting workable and accessible. And I've spent most of last year working on a generative AI platform that the first version of it is for immigration lawyers, but there's a new version that is multiple to any kind of practice. Wow. What is something that attracts you to this technology aspect of the legal profession? Well, I mean, I think the the web in 1994, there was a very similar buzz to it as far as how this was going to change 
the practice. And at the time, it was for the first time lawyers had an easy way to reach people all over the world and all over the country. There was some question marks at the beginning of whether we can even ethically have websites as lawyers on there and whether we could ethically use email uh, on there. These were questions that were not immediately clear. So there was a nervousness like there is with AI today about what lawyers can and can't do. But I think there was a recognition at the time that this is going to be transformative as far as how law firms work. This is actually, I think, at a higher level as far as the thinking, as far as how it's going to change the practice, because it has a big impact on the economics of the practice of law. How do we price? What happens if we're able to replace a lot of our functions that are being done by people with AIs that are comparable, maybe even better? How we thrive as lawyers with that technology? This is not original to me, but a lot of people say it's you're not going to be replaced by AI, but the lawyers that figure out how to use it are going to be the ones that are the winners at the end as opposed to basically being driven out by AI itself. Yeah, and I think that's something that you've done in your career, right, is you've adapted, you've become agile, and you've right. adapted to the current tech that's coming around you instead of fighting against it, which I think is what Tech Show is all about, right? Instead mm-hmm. of tucking away legal tech in the corner, you know, we're here full display to see how you can make your practice better, your clients happier. Right. And I I think that's something really cool that's been woven throughout your story is this ability to see, identify and embrace versus, you know, well, we've never done it. And and I do think it's interesting that you circle back to the beginning of the internet and all the scary and (laughs) ethical issues that we're now seeing with AI, all valid, right? So it's interesting that you see it full circle, but to a higher degree now. Yeah. The web at the beginning was a publishing platform. So it was mostly about business development and this is a lot broader as far as its ability to impact just about every aspect of your practice. We have a tool that we developed to automate something that typically is a 10 to 15 hour drafting process into something that's more like an hour on there using generative AI and that's very compelling for lawyers when they're able to sort of thinking about that but it also sort of like raises a kind of questions of that's an expensive process that we, and we flat bill in immigration law, generally speaking, that's how the whole immigration bar works. But that raises a lot of questions. Obviously, you want that tool as a lawyer to be able to do that, especially if it really works well. On the other hand, there's a lot of conversations that are going to have to happen with clients. There's conversations that's going to happen internally about whether we need to change how we price. There's also a question like in our firm, we're dealing with how young lawyers whether they should even be able to use those kinds of tools early in their practice and whether it changes the way lawyers think and the way lawyers write when they have these tools available to them that can do a lot of that. So, you know, we're basically, with that particular tool, keeping it off limits to lawyers until they have a certain amount of experience handling those kinds of cases and doing that 10 to 15 hour drafting process so they really know what's being automated and being able to do a good job. You still have to be the lawyer, so you still have to supervise the AI, you have to check what it's doing. You have to have enough subject matter expertise to know if it did a good job or not. But those are the kinds of questions that I think a lot of firms are going to have to grapple with. Yeah, that's really interesting. What you mentioned feels like the reason why you have to like show your work in a math exam. You're not given a <laughs> you're not given a calculator when you're right. in high school or in middle school. You're told to do your work, and then you grow up and you don't remember how to do it because you've got a calculator. <laughs> so it's like that, that. Yeah. Yeah, the AI tool that you've created seems a bit like figuring out the balance between knowing the work, showing the work, right. and getting it done quickly in the 10-15 right. hour time frame. Yeah, to some extent actually I think that 
it could have also the opposite effects. The tool that we're, we're displaying here, we built a, um, an AI research platform with the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and it has a couple hundred thousand pages of materials in there, and it does a wonderful job of giving answers to questions, giving citations, making it really easy for the lawyers to check. And a lot of lawyers in our space, sadly, they're using Facebook groups, listservs, just a knock on the door down the hall, anything to avoid actually doing the research and actually reading the cases and reading the original materials and all that because the tools that they use right now are either super expensive or super difficult to use. And so they just look for other ways that are easier for them. And I think some of the AI tools that are coming out are going to hopefully have the effect of making people more diligent about the way that they do research and rechecking checking sources and all that kind of stuff because it's just going to be a lot friendlier and easier for them to do it where they can just like this is the, que- the take the question that you would ask on the Facebook group of the listserv and plug that into the AI and you may get a, a, an answer that's a lot like a legal memo essentially prepared for you instantly with all the citations that you can then go check and make sure that it was right that's probably better for the profession than the way that a lot of people are doing research right now, which is these scary ways that probably result in a lot of mistakes. Yeah, there's a sense of an accountability, right? right? Instead of, oh, the person next door gave me this answer, and now I've got to figure out what to do with it, judge. I'm sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> that that kind of accountability that you'll have, and I think that's a really cool tool, and, and I'm excited to see how that progresses and moves forward and, and helps those, particularly immigration law, but I think that model can be applied to a lot of different areas of the Hopefully. legal profession. I know that as we're at Tech Show, you've been a speaker before. Yes. You're a speaker this year. Yes. Can you tell us what you're speaking about? Sure. And maybe like the top one or two highlights of those talks. So in about 90 minutes, I'm speaking on the AI use cases for lawyers. So a very broad thing of here are 10 things that you can use it for in your day-to-day practice. And just that for a lot of people, that's what they want is to just I'm hearing a lot about this. I have no idea why this could be useful to me in my practice. So that's what the focus is on that. Tomorrow, our panel is about more of the cautions. So I'm going to be talking about ethics and how to comply with ethics rules because there are a lot of questions. I'm going to be talking about developing an AI use policy in your law practice and how to actually set the rules for how it's being used in your practice so that you don't get sued or you don't make the headlines for something that you don't want to make the headlines for. And then I'm going to be talking about how to have conversations with clients about how you're using AI and what you should be talking to them about and how do you address the concerns that they're likely to have. In one sentence or a few words, what is a way to address your client's concerns about AI as a lawyer? Be open with them and be proactive. You should be talking with them early, probably even in the engagement stage. But basically, you'll get into a lot more trouble by hiding the ball rather than communicating with them. Great. I appreciate your time, Greg. It's been great. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. 
That's why Longline's rated the highest in the industry with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Longline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.